Good, good evening to those in social media. And this is Grace and Faith Fellowship coming to you again with our Saturday night message. We thank God for you. Listen to us. We pray that these messages are being a blessing to you. Some of you have kind of liked the message. So if you like it, then share it with somebody, you know, that you know they need to hear this word. And we know it's going to be a blessing to them. But we want to continue with our series on living for God in a godless society living for God in a godless society. And this is part two. And tonight we're going to focus on choosing community. Now, what does that mean? Choosing community means the question I want to ask you tonight, who is around you? What's your circle like? The people that you're close to, your friends, the people you hang around with, um, this is important in order to live for God in a godless society is your circle. The people you hang around, who are they? Are they people who share your same values? Are they um, building you up or are they causing you to live in sin like they are? Whether it be family members, you know, um, people you know from high school, from college, your frat brother, your sorority sister. Who is your circle? <clears throat> what is your circle like? And so we need to really think about who we hang around in order to live for God in this God society. So I'm going to read. We, we, we're focused on the book of Daniel. Daniel is the book we, we focus on for this particular series. And I want to read Daniel's 1, 9 through 17. To kind of give us a foundation of what we can be coming from tonight. And it says, now God had given this, the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this fine, this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youth, your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke to the attendant who had been appointed of the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who were eating the king's food. Then make your, your decision in light of what you, what you see. <clears throat> the attendant agreed with Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So we see here, just kind of give you a, go back a little bit. Daniel and his friends didn't want to eat the food that the Babylonians was going to give them. No, to understand, remember we said that Israel was in captivity of Babylon. And 
in captivity, the king Nebuchadnezzar chose Israel's best, smartest young men. Some believe that Daniel and them were teenagers. And so they wanted to train them in the literature and everything of Babylonian culture. And one of the one the things they wanted them to feed them their food and they'll, you know, drink. But Daniel, remember, Israel had a dietary law. <clears throat> and so it was forbidden for them to eat certain foods. And Daniel wanted to stay committed to that. So we see here that Daniel asked the attendant to just test them for 10 days. They just want to eat vegetables and water while the other ones ate the best foods of the Babylonian culture. And we see after 10 days, Daniel was just as healthy as, as the young men who were eating the Babylonian food. But the thing is, we see Daniel wasn't by himself in this. That's the point we want to drive home. He wasn't by himself. He was, he had, you know, as the, the other name, the Babylonian was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had friends. Okay. So just to read this, it says, Daniel chose to follow God in his eating habits. But he also brought three friends from his home tribe of Judah. Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah. In that covenant with him, no conversation among the friends is recorded in the scripture, but Daniel may have been the leader who encouraged them to join his stand. There's no doubt that they stood stronger together than each would have stood alone. At the end of the 10 days, the trial period, <clears throat> instead of Daniel showing the showing the excellent effort of God's favor on this new diet plan, those results were multiplied by four. And we can can imagine how they supported each other to stay resolute. Those four Judean youths were a band of brothers who strengthened and steadied each other as they were isolated, adding to a hostile culture. We too need to strengthen the strength of community to keep us accountable in our spiritual resolve. So just like here, the situation Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, these four, we need the same thing. They stood together. They held each other accountable for doing what was right. And we need the same thing. If you're going to live for God in this godless society, okay, you will need a put to put people around you that's going to hold you accountable. That's going to stand with. In other words, Daniel said, I'm, I'm not going to try to do this by myself, but he got three other young men just like him to hold each other accountable. We need a, a strong community around us if you're going to live for God in this society. You need a stronger, to hold somebody to hold you accountable. See, that one of the problems is we don't want anybody to hold us accountable. Sometimes we want what we call yes men or yes women just to agree with us <clears throat> and do what we want when we want to do it. But if you're talking about, if you're serious about living for God in this culture, you're going to need to put people around that's going to hold you accountable. That's not 
going to be afraid to say, you know what, that's wrong. Or the strength you are, or people you can go to that's going to pray for you, you know, encourage you and build you up. Because here's the thing about it. In this next scripture we're going to read, we're going to show you what the godless community are like. Because here's the thing about it. When you begin to live for God, they're going to criticize you. They're going to talk about you. You're going to suffer persecution for being a believer in this godless society. Okay, you're gonna so let's read uh first Peter chapter four, verse one and five. And I'm reading it from a new living translation here, and it says, So so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude as he had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, for of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge in the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. <clears throat> so he says, hey, I'm going to read this um, from the Amphi, one verse. Verse one. It says, so since Christ has suffered in the flesh for us, you arm yourself with the same thought and purpose, patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. So it's saying here, you're going to suffer for living holy in this society. Remember when we said holy, what does holy mean? Different, it means distinctive. Okay, it says whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin and has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleasing God. Okay, so you are pleasing God. Okay, so when it talks about Christ suffered for us, he went through Calvary. Remember, he suffered a lot for us. He said, you have to have the same mindset. You have to have the same attitude that if you're going to live for God and this God, it's, it's interesting that this scripture, First uh, Peter Four, chapter four, it starts off and that first one is the subtitle is living for God. Okay, living for God. So that's what we're talking about. Living for God in a godly society. He goes on to say that you're done with spending the rest of your life chasing after your own desires. But no, you're anxious, it says, to do the will of God. I'm no longer, I'm done with that. If you're a believer, you saved him. We should be done with chasing our own desires, but we should be anxious to do the will of God. God, what did you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? It says you're done with that. It says you, you've had enough in the past of evil things such as, you know, immorality, lust. You feel wild pie and getting drunk. You, you, you're done with all that. You're done with all that. The, this is how 
the, the godless society, this is how they live. This is the sign that we live in. This is how they live. We shouldn't want to live like that. They said with the wild parties, worshiping idols. But look at what it says. It says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer want to plunge into the wildest, struggling thing they do. They're, they're going to be surprised. Isn't it strange that when, when, we're, when we were living insane lives in sin, everyone thought we were normal? But when we discovered true life in Christ and get delivered from all forms of evil, they think we're crazy. Isn't it interesting? When you were living... In sin, you was enjoying the wild parties and the lust and the sexual immorality, all those things. You were the life of the party. People thought you was normal. See, that's that's what this society thinks. They think that sexual morality, wild parties, all kinds of stuff, you know, stuff that's ne necessarily breaking the law, the physical law, the the law of the world. They think hey, that's normal. It's normal to act this way. It's normal to be this way. They're acting. Our government is even normalizing certain behavior that God condemns. Normalizing things. And they think we are the crazy ones because we've given that up. Because maybe you're giving it up. Maybe you're experiencing that. Maybe you are going through. You're a person who maybe you just got saved or you're saved. And people, and you are afraid of people criticizing you if you really stand for Jesus. If you really stand on the things of God, that you don't uh, compromise the things of God. You're afraid that you're going to be criticized. Okay. And maybe you've put place yourself. Maybe you're saying you and but the friends that you hang around doesn't really represent the things of God. And they've got you going the wrong way, even though you may be a believer. And I know how it is. I know it is. People that you've grown up with, that you spent most of your life with, and you've developed these friendships, and now that Christ is coming to your life, sometimes it's it's tough because here's the thing we want to we say we say well I don't want to act like I'm better than they are, and you you know that's not what we're talking about. We're not being saved is not to make you better than anybody, but it means that you it says but does say as we said. The word holy means you're different now. Okay. Being different doesn't mean you're better. <clears throat> okay. Being different doesn't mean you're better. It just means you choose a different course. Okay. I used to go this way. Now I'm going this way. You just chose a different course of your life. You chose to live your life for Jesus and you choose to yield to his way of doing things. That's all it means. Better. So don't allow somebody to tell you that you, oh, you think you're better. Or maybe you have that mindset, well, I think I'm better. So you still hang around the friends that you've done drugs with and things and like I said, wild parties. No, you may have to turn those plain people loose and begin to surround yourself like Daniel with people who are going to hold you accountable. Who's gonna hold you steadfast? Who's gonna say, you know what? This is what we do. Okay, this is what you're gonna do. But they people, the world's gonna think you're crazy when you give up 
what they declare is normal. Okay. And so it says um, in verse four of it says people um, mentions people speaking of evil of us because we aren't living in sin anymore. But this verse reveals that a day is coming when they will give an account to the one who made them. They will no longer, they will know better than they will come, come, there will come a day when all who criticize us will acknowledge the wisdom of our new lives in Christ. And we need to keep this fact in mind when we suffer persecution. So you need to keep this in mind that, hey, though everybody, the person who's criticizing you, the people who are going to criticize you, they're going to have to face God's way. And they're going to understand one day, if they, hopefully they understand, hopefully you will lead them to Christ and so will see and they will come to Christ. But if they don't, that day is coming where they will recognize that you are right. And so this is how this is what we got to keep in mind when we're being persecuted, when you're suffering, because Jesus went through the same thing. And so this is what you need to keep in mind. Because this is what the world going to say. Or this is what this society is going to say about you when you begin to live holy and right to begin to stand for the things of God. OK, my next verse is Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through twelve. Now, reading from New Living Translate, it says this. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two people can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So listen to what um, Solomon said here. Solomon understood that he says two are better off than one. What he's talking about community. He's talking about community. If I got somebody with the same values, with the same passion about I have about the thing that I have about Christ, then you know what? We're gonna be better off. He said because they can help you each other succeed. See, this is what we need. We need people surround our people that's gonna help us succeed in the things of God, not fall, not fail. I need people. You need people. That's going to help you succeed in the things of God. That's why it's important. It is important who you are hanging around. It's a likewise two people lying close together and keep each other warm. <coughs> it says you can't keep yourself warm alone. If one falls, the other one can reach down, help them up. Because it says that you fall alone, you're in trouble. You ain't got nobody there to help you. It's even a person, two people. If a person alone get attacked, you don't get defeated. You don't get defeated. It says, but if you stand back to back, you can conquer. You can conquer. It says even better. It says a triple uh, braided cord is not easily broken. Now, who is that third person? Christ. <laughs> that third person can be Christ. Three braided cord is not easily broken. So the thing is, Solomon understood 
it's good to have people around you that can help you succeed, that can help you stay warm, can help you if you fall, help you get back up. This is what community is all about. Having people around you that's going to help you. You can't live this Christian life alone. I know some people say, well, all I need is Jesus, and that's true. Jesus is enough. But God is, has always been about community. He talked about bear one another's burdens, pray for each other, <clears throat> hold each other up in prayer. The Bible talks about that all the time. It says, where there's unity, there's strength. <clears throat> you know, so he talks about, well, you don't want to, in this physical world, we need people around us that's going to help us. Okay. So my next scripture is Galatians chapter six, verses one through five. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fail, not to fall into the same temptation yourselves. Share each other's burdens. Here we go. We're going to talk about share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. And you, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. Pay, pay, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself with anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. <clears throat> So we see here, Paul is talking about, hey, if your brother and sister fall, overcome by sin, you who are godly can should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. What are we talking about? Community. Now, if you don't have a strong community, if you don't have people, you haven't placed yourself around people who can help you back up to get you on the right path, then you're going to continue in those sins. And that sin can destroy you, mess up your life. God forbid death. But he says, hey, he, he, he talks about this. So it says here the word in the, in the King James says, over your brother overtaken in the sin. And the word overtaken carries the idea of something that comes upon a person by surprise. So maybe that person, got, maybe you got caught by surprise. By some, maybe it's like, hey. You, you didn't tend to, but it happened. Okay. Or you know somebody. You got to go and strengthen that brother. Get him back on the right path. The word fall, fall, fault means uh, a, a side slip. Okay. A lapse or deviation or unintentional error or, or unwillful transgression. Therefore, Paul was given these instructions about how to help someone who is who is sincere but in error. <coughs> Excuse me. They are sincere, but they error. So we all mess up. But when you have strong community, when you choose community, choose to put yourself around people who are going to hold you accountable, who's not afraid to tell you that you're wrong, but gently, you know, it says do it gently and humbly. Then, then these people are going to help you when you fall. Also, um, verse one, it said the spiritual ones instruct 
and struggle to restore those who are overtaking the fault are those who are dependent upon and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the So to help each other, we got to be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you how you minister to that person. How to help that person get back on the right path. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't just don't do things on your own. On your own. Pray about it before you go and help somebody. But it also said, I said the Greek word here for restore literally means to set a bone that has been broken. <clears throat> okay. It takes time for broken bones to mend, and activities usually have to be restricted during the healing process. Likewise, spiritual restoration takes time and usually uh, necessitates a change of routine. For those individuals go, if those individuals go back to the same circumstances, chances are they will make the same wrong choices they did before. So notice here it says that that word restore means it's like mending a broken bone. Take time to mend the broken broken bone. Okay. And so they may have, it says, in order for that bone, for order for your bone to heal, it says activities you have to be restricted during the healing process. So this is likewise when a person being restored and God leads you to restore somebody. Okay, it's going to be a change of routine. They, you have to be willing to make a change of routine. Maybe that's you. Who Maybe you've backslidden. You've only, well, you, first of all, you've got to make yourself accountable to somebody. A believer that's more mature than you are. And hold yourself accountable. And then allow them to instruct you on how to get back on the right path. That means there's got to be a change of routine. So this, is, this is a practical thing. You can't keep doing the same thing, expect different results. Okay, you have to change your routine. Okay, we will have to help those people get a change of routine. Okay, you that person said that if those individuals go back to the same circuit, chances are they will make the same decisions. So they can't keep doing the same thing. So those who fail, which is also just as setting a, a broken bone in the natural. It is painful, but necessary. Let me say it again. Okay. A, a bone that's broken, it's going to be painful when you reset it, but it's necessary. The restoration process is always painful. Okay. It's always painful, but it's necessary. So if you are a person who's going through, it's going to be painful. Why? Because sin has consequences. Okay. Sin has consequences, but so it's going to be painful, but it's going to be necessary. And those who fail to deal with the issues completely because it is painful are similar to those who do not, who don't set a broken bone. So if you don't want to deal with your, your consequences, your uh, transgressions, then guess what? You're not going to heal. And God wants you. He died. For your healing physically spiritually you know emotionally all those things so you got to be willing to allow somebody to hold you accountable but it says just as a cast protects the broken bone from further injured people who have fallen should be surrounded by brothers and sisters 
who are committed to keeping those fallen individuals from making the injury worse. So you got to surround yourself with people who are going to help you and make sure you don't make things worse. Okay, than what it was before. Wow, we're trying to, restoration is taking place. And so you're going to have to make yourself accountable to those people if you're that person who messed up or if you are the person who are doing the restoring. Make sure that you are taking time for that person. Make sure that you are available for that person so that you can hold the deck and you can hold them accountable. It's a submission to spiritual authority is just as important to those who have fallen as a cat is to a person with a broken bone. <coughs> Submission to spiritual authority. You have to put yourself under somebody's authority to be able to speak into your life. This is what community is all about. Putting people around to speak into your life, holding you accountable. Make sure you're doing the right thing. And vice versa, you're doing that for them. Until the healing is complete, the cast and the curtailed lifestyle have to be maintained, even though it may be inconvenient and uncomfortable. Trying to return to normal prematurely can prevent the bone from ever being completely healed. So you want to be completely healed. So in order for that to happen, you got when when Tom gives an example of a broken arm, you got to keep the cast on, even though the cast. Oh, I've never broken anything, but I'm sure people say when they put a cast on, the cast itches and it's heavy. You know, it gets in the way, but it may be uncomfortable and convenient. But that's gonna have to happen. That it may be uncomfortable and convenient for you right now, but that is necessary for you to heal. In order for a thing, you don't want it says here trying to return to normal to being normal prematurely can prevent the bone from being complete. So when you try to return to some prematurely before time, before you are completely healed, you can mess things up. You can prolong your restoration. Okay, let's look at verse two. Verse two talking about the Greek word for burden means heaviness, weight, or trouble. It, it, it is such a heavy weight if a person is not helped in carrying it, okay? He or she will be overwhelmed. This, is, this may be either a sin or a circumstance of life. So you, we help them carry their burdens. It may be too heavy for them. It may be too heavy for you to carry right now, okay? So this is why you need community, people around you, so they can help you with your burden. Some things get tough. Sometimes you need people to talk to, but you need to surround yourself with people who, gonna, who are led by the Holy Spirit, who are mature in Christ, and can give you a word. And can encourage you and comfort you and pray for and even tell you, even if you're going the wrong way. Okay. We fulfill Christ's law of love when we bear one another's burdens. 
our love must go beyond just not seeing others hurt to be alleviated of their suffering if it's within our power. Okay, so this is, the, we're talking about the law of Christ, the law of love. That's the law of Christ. The barrier one tells no. We got to go beyond just not seeing others hurt to alleviate their suffering. We got to go beyond. You got to be willing to go above and beyond. What are you willing to do, okay, to help that person get back on their feet? And this is what we should be able to do. This is what strong community does. In verse 3, it says, if we think, it's talking about how if we think we're too big to help somebody. It says, if we think we are too important to stoop down and help others <clears throat> with their burdens, then we have deceived, we're deceived about our own importance. See, this is what community, you should be willing to help somebody else. Don't think you're too important. Don't think you're better than they are because they failed and you didn't because they got caught in the sin and you didn't. See, now we're talking about thinking you're better than somebody versus just being different. Okay. It says none of us are anything of ourselves. None of us have any good excuse for not helping restore our fellow believers. This is one of the sins of the Pharisees. Pharisees did it, and they said it was in Luke in eight and nine, eighteen and nine. Can okay, amplify the translate says like this: If a person thinks himself to be something, somebody too important to condescend to their shows to another, to another's low when he is nobody of superiority except in his own estimation, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. So don't think you're too good to help somebody. Don't think because that person, like I said, that person is feeling this in and you say, well, you know, now you shake your chest out when you say, well, I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't do it. I'm better than this and that. Yeah. Now you've put yourself on a pedestal and that's not good community. That's not strong community. Strong community don't do that. Strong community says, you know what? That could have been me. And so I'm going to go help my brother, and my sister. But guys, in four, it says, if we are able, explain this verse, it says, if we are able, we are to help bear another's burdens, we must lay aside conceit. Okay? So don't be conceited. Intolerance toward those who have sinned is an indication of our own vulnerability. So if you're not, you can't tolerate somebody, then that means you're vulnerable too. Here, Paul gives the, the remedy for conceit. A realistic outlook at our own weakness will make us better prepared to help others. See, we all got weaknesses. Okay. We all got stuff that we're vulnerable to. So that's why we shouldn't think ourselves better than somebody else. Okay. So you got weaknesses also, me and you. This is the same message as that of, the, of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 25, which says, and read this from the King James, and why behold thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, to thy brother, let me pull out the mote in your own in thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye. <coughs> thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thy 
Una, and then shall thy see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. And so we've heard that. Maybe some of you heard that. Hey, okay, you can't talk about me. What's going I'm going on in my life? You got something going on. Your life even worse. So we, we need to be living holy and righteous lives, not perfect lives. But you can't be in the same predicament or worse predicament than the person you're trying to help. And that's what that, that verse literally says with Matthews chapter 7, 3 through 5. But this verse 5 is golden to say this this verse, verse 5, is 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 the opposite of, of 6 and 2. Paul says, Bear ye one another's burdens, okay? Galatians 6 through 4 strips away any object that someone might have to doing that then here paul gives the clinching arguments for every man shall bear his own burdens his reason is that since all of us have burdens that we have to bear ourselves we are to be quick to help others in their burdens we reap what we sow that's what the word says and god doesn't extend mercy to those who have shown no mercy therefore those who do not help others will not be helped. We don't want that. That's not what you want. That's not what you want. We don't want that. You want somebody because, yeah, you reap what you sow. If you going to help some other man, if you helping somebody, well, you know somebody needs help and you help them, then guess what? When it comes to your time, maybe you fall, then somebody's going to help you. Somebody's going to help you. But you gotta first put it out there. You gotta be willing to help somebody else with their burdens. Cause we all got burdens ourselves. Realizing that you have burdens, realizing that you gonna have stuff you have to bear, that should make you want to help somebody else. So that hey, so we should all help others and sow a seed for our own future need. That's what you're doing when you're helping other people. You're sowing seeds for your future needs. Because you may be in some situation where you may need help. So this is what strong community is all about. It's all about showing each other that we need each other. And putting yourself around people, okay, that's going to help you. You know, but you can't put yourself around your people that are doing the same thing. If you're not living like God wants you then you need to pray about changing the people that you hang around with and ask God to send you people that's going to hold you accountable, that's going to not be afraid to say what they need to say to you, even though it may hurt your feelings. One proverb, I believe it's in, in chapter 26 proverb, it says, I think it's 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, if you are somebody's friend, then you're not going to be afraid to tell them the truth even though it may hurt them. And this is what choosing community. You got to choose just like Daniel and his four friends. He had three other friends, Daniel, that were doing the same thing. And I like I believe they held each other accountable. Even when one got weak, the other one was able to help each other and says, no, you don't want to do that. And this is what you need. This is what we need in our life. People that's going to hold us accountable to do the work of the Lord, to live holy, to live righteous in this life and not live in this godless 
culture, society, where they deem their way they're doing things is right and we're wrong. So let me pray. Father God, in the name of you, I thank you for every ear that's listening tonight. God, I pray that the person that's listening, that the person that's struggling, the person that's in sin and have fallen, okay, have fallen and are struggling, I pray, God, that you will send somebody in their path to give them a word, to encourage them, just let them know that Jesus loves them and it's not too late, that what they did is not too bad that God cannot forgive. And I pray, God, that they will listen to that godly counsel. Pray to God that you give us a mind to speaking to the people that you have put around us in our circle, <clears throat> that we will listen to them and they will listen to us. I pray for strong community in the believers' lives right now, that we will surround ourselves with people who are strong and mature and it's going to hold up the bloodstain better for your name. And that we may be pillars and examining this kind of what Christians look like and God, what the kingdom looks like through our lifestyle and through us living for you. I give you the praise and I thank you in advance for doing the work in your believers' lives that are listening to us. And I give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, we thank you for listening. We'll be back again you next week on another installment of Living for God in a Godless Society. Uh, thank you again and bye-bye.